This is your host, Casey DeShock. Alaska Conversations is supported by a community of Alaskans dedicated to our state. If you'd like to view more information about the show, you can find us at alaskaconversations.com. There, you'll be able to find this podcast as well as our show archive. The website is another place to find information and data concerning the topics we discuss, events, upcoming guests, and more about Alaska Conversations. If you have a question, comment, topic recommendation, or a suggested guest, you can email contact at alaskaconversations.com. Hello, this is episode 16, and my guest today is Elijah Verhagen. Elijah has been working for State Representative Dave Telrico since 2011. He holds degrees in construction management and political science, and he's also running for District 6 in the Alaska Legislature. Today we're going to talk a little bit about Alaska civics, political parties, Juno, caucuses, how everything works, and Elijah, welcome to Alaska Conversations. Appreciate it. Thanks, Casey. So you're running for District 6 right now. That's what you declared. One of the things, don't know if you've ever heard any of my podcasts, but one of the rules is I do not have anybody that's elected on the show because then you're beholden to talk about something else. But I do have, and I had Ed King on a few weeks ago, he's declared that he's running for office as well. So if you're running, that's fine, but you won't be back on here if you get elected. Okay, sounds good. Uh, so, anyways, what is District Six? How uh, you're you're running? What's that look like? What's your experience in District Six? Did you just move there? How how's that all going to work? So, I was um, born and raised in District Six. Um, well, what is currently District Six because of redistricting, of course, it's changed uh, once. But um, I was born and raised in Inanna, which is a small village. Um, Flash city that's about 45 minutes um, south of Fairbanks, heading down Parks Highway towards Anchorage. And so District 6 is the biggest district by far in our state, and it's very diverse, um, has a lot of uh, the native villages in it. Uh, Ninana itself is about half native, half uh, non-native. And so District 6 is kind of a big... um, kind of a big U-shape around Fairbanks. So Fairbanks has, of course, several different house districts, and District 6 picks up a lot of the villages surrounding Fairbanks, including like Tanana, Fort Yukon, Rampart, Minto, um, and then it goes down the Parks Highway, gets Unana, Anderson, Healy, all the way to Cantwell on one side, and then, get this, uh, on the other side of Fairbanks, it picks up Isleson Air Force Base, Salsha and goes all the way out to Toke. It bypasses Delta, but goes all the way out to Toke. So it's a very vast district, very diverse, um, but it is uh, primarily um, comprised of very rural areas. And so, um, yeah, being raised uh, in Inanna, which is a small town of around 500 people, I am very used to um, what not being able to quickly run to, uh, Fred Meyer or a big store is like. And of course in the interior, we also have very severe 
negative temperatures in the winter. And for for anybody that's just thinking about District Six, it's I mean it runs basic. It it also shares most of the Canadian border uh, all the way down. You're talking about going up. I don't know if it includes Arctic Village or not off the top of my head, but it would and it goes all the way down into the Wrangles. I it mean does. it's a huge district. I think yep, for, it I, includes. I think forty by go ahead. By, I think District Forty by land area might be a little bit bigger, but either which way, District Six is huge. Yeah, yeah. From what I've heard, it is it is the biggest district. But but yeah, I know District Forty and District Thirty Nine are also pretty big as well. Um, and yeah, it does pick up Eagle uh, Chicken and goes all the way up to Border City um, and goes down the the the, the side of <laughs> of the Canada line. Yeah. And you have been working in the legislature now for nine years or so, nine, ten years. You've been heading down to Juneau uh, working. Seven. Seven? Okay. Yep. Well, I gave seven, you a little seven, bit yep. of extra credit then. But yep. you, so you've been down there for the for the seven years. Have you been working for the same for the same person the entire time? Have you moved around or how did that work? So um I my career is construction. I've born and raised doing construction. And, and me and my brothers run a business uh, in interior Alaska. Um, and so I've only worked uh, seven different legislative sessions and only for 90 days. So a lot of times um, staffers will work year round uh, during the interim. And I have chosen not to do that. I like using my hands, working out in the, in the field, doing construction, what I've, I've been raised to do. Um, but I, yeah, I've also, in 2011, I got hired as a house page my very first year and I started learning my dad was a staffer down there for a legislator and I I started um, getting to know the process a little bit better I met the 40 uh, house representatives at the time working as a page I then decided to start a degree in political science after I'd finished getting my construction management degree and so then I got my bachelor's in political science over the next couple of years um and as I'd keep going down to Juneau, um, I would work the session for 90 days, sometimes take online classes through UAF or take equivalent classes through UAS that they would transfer the credits um, to UAF for my poli-sci degree. But it took me a little longer that way, but I, I graduated in 2014 with my poli-sci degree. So when I started off, like I said, I started off as a house page, got to know the 40 representatives pretty well. Um, I then, through UAF, did an internship in 2013 where um, House Representative Peggy Wilson, who was um, the representative for Wrangell and Ketchikan area, she um, brought me on her team and I worked a session for her. And that was a lot of fun, getting to, to learn a lot more about that part of the state, uh, Southeast. Then the following year, I worked for Representative Laura Reinbold, who was in the Eagle River uh, District 13, I believe it was at the time. And I worked for her for the next two sessions. And then I took a little bit of a break um, uh, doing construction, and I didn't, I didn't go back to, to Juneau for a year. And then I got hired to work for my representative, Dave Tallarico, um, great conservative guy, uh, lifelong family friend of my dad's and, and, and our families. 
And so he hired me and I went down in 2017 and was a legislative staffer for him, carried several of his bills. And, uh, and if elected, I plan on carrying some of his legislation that didn't make it through because of COVID because he's had some really good bills that really need to get through, I believe. And then I took about three years off, got married, started a family, finished building my house that I was doing out of pocket slowly. And then when I finally was freed up enough, I uh, took a, a job this past session working for Representative Sharon Jackson, uh, also representing Eagle River. And then I, um, you know, we all came back because of the uh, abrupt ending of the session because of COVID. And then I decided to go on to layoff status and file and run for office. The, now, you've worked for a lot of different representatives. So something, a question that I would have is, and you don't have to call any of them out because you can kind of narrow down who you've worked for. You went through the list. But most of them, most of the offices run fairly similar to each other. Are there giant differences between the what you could call the, the competence or the efficiency of different legislators or is it all kind of even even between all of the representatives? Good question. Um, I have to be careful how I answer this. <laughs> but yes, absolutely. It's it's it is. There's a lot of things that are similar with every office, of course. Um, but then there's also vast differences. Um, it, just the experience of the legislator, how long they've been in there before I started working for them. Um, their different districts you know, they're different personalities. Um, and so, yeah, it, there's definitely similarities between the four different offices I worked in, but, um, some of the legislators I worked for were, I guess, more, um, seasoned legislators, you could say, and, and therefore, um, were already used to carrying a lot of legislation. They, their legislation was moving forward, et cetera. Um, others were, um, kind of new to the process. So I actually um, was able to do my best to advise them and give them insight and, and help them figure out the process um, to better serve their districts. When you're down. Did at, that answer your question? Oh yeah. Yeah. So if you're, if you're staff to somebody, uh, what type of, and remember some of, some of this show, there are people that, that listen to the podcast that are very, very into the political underpinnings of Alaska. They understand exactly how it works. What is surprising is the number of people that have no idea how civics works. It's, exactly. it's almost as if you've, you've never even went through thinking about why, why we do the things that we do, how government works, how a bill can go, why you can't just say go and do it. Some people would say, well, I can't believe that or the governor took the PFD or I can't believe that the governor didn't take the PFD, etc. And it's, you know, there's a big misunderstanding. So um, I think that a lot of people might not even know that there is staff. So when you're talking about the number of uh, staff, if you're in an office, how does the staff work? How many people are generally in an office? Um, and are some people paid more than others or not more than others? Do people work year round? How do staff, how does staff work? Uh, good question again. So um, the, at least since I've been working there on and off since 2011, um, 
how it's been done since I've again seen it is whoever, whichever, um, whichever group of legislators is in the majority, um, and they, whether it be the Republican Party in control or the Democrat Party in control or a mixture of the two, which is currently what they have, um, the majority offices will each have enough funds to pay for three staff. And depending on the leadership, so say you're the Senate president and you're elected the Senate president amongst the other senators, they all kind of get together after the election and they um, will elect leadership amongst themselves in the Senate. And they will also do that in the House of Representatives. They will elect their speaker. And so if you are a majority member, typically you'll have three paid staff positions. And then you sometimes will have an intern, which is through the UA system. And so you could have four people in the office. And if you are in the top leadership, say Senate president or speaker of the house, and sometimes the co-chairs of finance, they will give them a few extra um, points um, is what how they kind of go by. And those points will enable them to hire sometimes a, a fourth staffer that's paid. So some offices could, if that makes sense, some offices could have four paid and an intern, so five people in the office. Um, typically, in the majority, um, they'll they'll have three three staffers. So then, in the minority, whoever that may be, again, because it's changed since I've been there for sure. Um, the minority offices will typically have enough funds for two off, uh, two staffers. And again, they could also have an intern, so they could have a third person, but just not paid. Um, and then it's up to each individual legislator um, on how much they pay each staffer. So typically they'll choose in the majority offices or the bigger offices, they'll choose the chief of staff. Um in charge of the other staffers in that office, they'll be paid um, typically a little bit higher than the entry-level staff or front desk staff. Um, there's also a committee aide, and the committee aide is kind of a staffer that's solely supposed to focus on, say, the House Resources Committee. And so that committee aide also sometimes will get a little bit of a few more points or a little bit of a pay raise because they have to be experienced enough to deal with the committee. So they, to answer your question, yes, um, the, the pay between staffers is very different. Um, also, the state has what they call step increases. And if you've worked long enough uh, in Juneau, and especially if you don't take breaks, if you work year-round instead of just for session, like I only chose to do just sessions, then you'll have what's called step increases. And that's a little bit of a pay raise as well. So some of these staffers that have chosen to be career staffers, they're making a lot just because every year they go up a step on top of what they're getting paid in their office. So, yeah, the, the, the difference is, is big, and it's largely based on experience of the staffer, but also seniority as far as the amount of time that they've been working down there. The Alaska legislature is made up of 40 members for our house. Uh, it's made up of 20 members of the Senate. So if you think about... Uh, 20 the, members of the Senate. Yep, 20 members in the Senate. If you think about yep. Yep. how the... If any, if you're thinking about how the state works, uh, 
you know, exactly like you would nationally. You have a House of Representatives. You have a Senate. However, the state is divided into 40 House districts, and then the Senate is a combination of two of those House districts. So maybe you have House District 1, you have House District 2, and then that Senate district is 1 and 2 put together, and that one becomes A. And that's that's how the the uh, legislature works. So we have 60 members, and you may wonder, well, is that a lot or is it a little? It's actually the smallest legislature in the entire country, but we, we don't have very many people. But it is a very small legislature. Did, did you ever feel like there's there's too much work for a legislature to do in their staff? Is there not enough work? What type of experience did you have on the workload while you're in Juno and you're in it for those 90 days and you're working? Is it an intense work schedule or is it pretty, pretty normal? Um, so again, that really depends on which uh, legislator you're working for and how, uh, I guess, experienced or seasoned they could be. Um, some I've seen some legislators and I've worked for some legislators that have had uh, a lot of legislation and they're they're higher up in seniority or they're in leadership and therefore um, this is just kind of how it's been at least since I've been there and I've observed it um, if you're in leadership your bills move faster than um, minority members bills or people not in leadership and I'm not saying that's good or bad, but it's just how it's been going for a while, and so. And that's really um, just that's really just human nature. I mean, there are there is a significant number of people that get very upset with the kind of political log rolling that goes on, or you scr- you scratch my back, I'll scratch your back. But I I don't see a way that you could ever, no matter what what way you want to structure anything, there's no way to really eliminate that entirely. And so I'll let you finish your thought there, but I just wanted to say that it's not as if, you know, you can completely avoid that. If you're, if you're running things, if you're the majority, you're going to be able to move things along because everybody's, you get to name the leadership and you get to name the, how things work and bring things up, right? Yeah, Absolutely. And so, yeah, that, like you're saying, that it just kind of makes sense because you have the numbers, right? You're the majority. And so that's just, um, but yeah, just given a background. So that's, that's typically how it goes. And so I've worked in, in minority offices and majority offices. And so I've, I've personally carried up to four to five bills, uh, myself in a session. Um, and again, if you're actually having bill hearings in committee, um, you're going to be pretty darn busy. There's There's been sessions where I've had three weeks of just being slammed and <laughs> working your paid salary as a staff, but um, where I've worked, you know, a lot of 12-hour days for a couple weeks on end, uh, and then working for minority offices sometimes and your bills aren't getting heard or your boss is relatively new, might not have a lot of bills, you are doing more phone calls, um, constituent meetings, um, meeting with um, lobbyists, the various groups, et cetera. And so you'll have a lot, you'll be a lot less busy than if you are in a uh, majority office or say a finance, um, a finance member's office and it's budget season or time because typically they'll do the budget the first half of the session. Um, as far as going through the budget subcommittee process. And that also is very time consuming. So I hope that answered your question there. 
It it does, and you know, when you say lobbyists, I I think a lot of people that listen to and hear the word lobbyist, it, it upsets them. And this is just another. I I like to throw the ideas out there for somebody to think about as they're listening to you explain the way that it works. Because not all of us, I've never been down there and seen it work. In fact, I've only spent maybe a week in Juno in my entire life, so I've got a different opinion than than you or a different perspective. And most of the people that have never been in the game, there's a rational ignorance that people aren't going to spend all of their time devoted to learning exactly how the legislature works because that's why we have representatives. And so when when Mm -hmm. people say lobbyist, a lot of times people will get chills down their spine or whatever, but I just kind of remember that, yeah, it's not necessarily great that there's a bunch of people that are lobbying the legislature, but the people's lobbyist is their representative, and they're the ones that actually get the vote. And so, of course, different industries are going to have to go down, and they're going to have to be lobbyists because you can't possibly have a representative understand the ins and outs of every single issue that's ever existed in the entire world and understand it well. And so that's that's how that works. It tries to help things be more efficient. Uh, you can... St- you can still be critical of your representative, but that's again just human nature. So, um, when you're when you're down and your and your staff do do staff members from the majority and minority do you guys get along or is it is it a war? Are you guys enemies? Are you guys like rivals of two high school basketball teams or how does that work? <laughs> um, yeah, uh, um, can I t- say a brief thing about the lobbyists and I'll I'll get right back onto this question. Yep, so, um, you're absolutely right. Lobbyists, typically when we hear lobbyists, like, oh, man, you know, um, there are a few lobbyists that I kind of feel that way, even having working down there. But that, at the same time, there are a lot of good lobbyists, too. And so just throwing that out there, exactly like you're saying, uh, a legislator, there's no way they can keep up sometimes on the ins and outs of how a bill is going to affect a certain company, a certain uh, association, a, a certain state program. And so um, the lobbyists actually, um, to a large extent, can at least provide um, opposing sides. Because, of course, if it's a hot topic, then there's going to be lobbyists from both sides of, you know, um, or, or both arguments of why it's good or why it's bad. And so um, at least having um, those different perspectives and some of the information that the people that are paying and sending them to on their behalf, it is really helpful to, um, to at least hear their opinions. Now uh, I have yet to um, work for a legislator that um, bases any of their decisions off of what a lobbyist says. I, I have not seen that for those I've worked for, but it is helpful to have the information that they provide. Yeah. And I, that makes sense. Yes, I, I want the Alaska Outdoor Council, which they probably hate their acronym AOC now, but um, I want the Alaska Outdoor Council to be down there and lobbying for me and the resident hunters of and Alaska. And that's a great lobbyist. I like him. <laughs> yep. Yeah, so uh, so back to back to the rivalry yeah, between Yeah, back to staff. that other question. Yep. Yep. So um, the answer is it really depends, you know. So uh, I – I typically, um, I try my best and a lot of staff, I feel like do this. We try our best to get to know everyone in the building. Um, it really is beneficial for you to do that. And so when you're carrying a bill and you have to bring it through the whole process through the different committees in the house, and then you get it over to the Senate and you go through those committees, 
you're dealing with the staffers in basically all the offices eventually. You know, like if you're, you've been working down there on and off. And so um, a lot of staffers do our best to meet each other and meet all the other staffers in, in you know, both parties' offices. And um, I think that's really beneficial. Um, and so some, uh, you know, of course, there's some people that are really extroverted, some people that are introverted, you know. So sometimes there's staffers that don't really hang out with the other staffers. Um, there are some that hang out with only like-minded staffers in their party or, or their majority or their minority. Um, but for the most part, I feel like the staff, they do a fairly good job of working with each other and, um, and doesn't mean that there's not tense times during the session because there definitely is. There are a few times where there's a really uh, heated debate on the PFE or the budget and the majority and minority staffers, um, just because we are a representation of our bosses, um, we have to be very careful what we say to each other. Um, and as far as not divulging information or, you know, uh, et cetera. But at the same time, um, I, I, I have a, I feel like, um, myself and a lot of other staffers, we have a good relationship with most of the staffers in the building. Um, and every once in a while with the staffers that I completely politically disagree with, we'll sometimes, you know, hang out and, you know, go to receptions or go to other events and I'll talk to them and we're friends. Um, we just avoid political conversations sometimes. Right. <laughs> so, um, that's, that's, I think yeah, that happens a lot as well. Um, some of us, um, when like on my non-work time and, you know, non, uh, legislative receptions, which there's a lot of those, um, that a lot of the staff will attend, but when I'm outside of my work realm, I typically hang out with some of the staffers that I've known for a long time that I know feel similar to my uh, ideologies, political ideologies. That's just, um, you don't have to have your guard up as much when you're hanging out with like-minded, uh, politically like-minded uh, staffers when you're not at work. If well, that we, makes sense. Yeah, we, I mean, but, we're, we're always yeah. going to gravitate towards the people that are more and more like us. What's so important yep. is to be able to understand where what, where the other people are coming from. When earlier, exactly. earlier you had said this a lot, and, and I don't necessarily know what it all entails, but when, when you mentioned that a staffer has to carry a bill for – um, mm -hmm. just, just real briefly, what, what would that mean if anybody hears I'm carrying a bill or. Sure. Yeah. So, um, when a bill gets introduced, um, say it usually originates from an idea or a need from a district. And so the legislator, um, that sees that need or is trying to represent the, the person or the, the group that brings it forward, they'll introduce the bill. Um, the Speaker of the House will refer it to some committees that are related to it. So say it's a bill dealing with mining, it's going to go to the natural, it'll go to the Resources Committee and potentially the State Affairs Committee because those are the two things that it affects. And so um, the bill, once introduced, will go get assigned to the committees. Then each committee has a committee chair and that's kind of the gatekeeper. And 
of course, all the committee chairs are the majority party's um, members. And so, um, say this mining bill that I'm, you know, hypothetically talking about, it gets sent to the resources committee. And if that, if that chair of the committee does not necessarily like the bill, <laughs> uh, unfortunately, even if the bill could be a great bill, but if they, that majority uh, member that's the chair of the committee doesn't necessarily think it will help Alaska or their district or doesn't really like it, um, they couldn't do what's just called sitting on it. And that is not ever bringing it up to have a hearing. And so if there's no committee hearing, then the bill does not move. It's stuck and it's not ever going to make it through the process. Whereas, so a, a staff that's carrying a bill, um, we call it, is your job is to basically use your connections that hopefully you've built, um, go and meet with other staff um, in the other uh, offices, and especially say the bill is going to resources. So you put in a bill hearing uh, request, basically saying, I want my bill to be heard and discussed. And if they accept it, the, the chair and says, okay, you know, we're setting up time, we're going to hear it. Then your job carrying the bill again is to go to all of the committee members on that committee and talk with them, explain what the bill is doing, um, answer any questions. And then also the sponsor of the bill, which would be your boss, um, if you're carrying the bill, uh, your boss will then go with you sometimes and go explain the bill to the legislator. So typically how it works is staff can talk to staff, legislators talk to legislators. And not that we can't talk to, you know, legislators because, you know, we're, we become friends with them, et cetera. But just uh, protocol is we don't march in an office and say, I'd like to talk to your boss, the legislator. We typically go in and talk to the staff and then set up times where um, the staff are carrying the bill and the legislator sponsoring the bill will go and meet with the legislator and the staff that's following that resources committee. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. And you know what? I think – until you're in there and you're seeing it, I mean, I, I think most people can follow what you're saying, but I mean, it just sounds so terrible. And I mean, I mean <laughs> yeah. but it, it's, it's yeah. much it's much like people describe capitalism, right? Or, or some people have described capitalism like, man, this is the absolute worst system of ever setting up our government and our economy except for every other one that's been tried and you know it's mm -hmm. kind of the same with the, the civics i mean the system and for anybody who's never been on a board or been on uh, you know worked where you're using uh, parliamentary procedures or or you're spending public dollars i mean the way that it's done is painful it's annoying it's inefficient but that's exactly how it wants to be and if it wasn't that way um the the perception would be if there wasn't all of these committee hearings and, and somebody putting in a request, well, if, if you never put in a request for somebody to hear your bill on mining and, and you can think, well, why, why not just take it to the legislature so you're not wasting all this time? If you never put in the re request, then the public can never go and see how many times that you turned it down. So there's all of these counter 
reasons for doing things so that the information is readily available to those who want to hear about it. And that leads me mm-hmm. to, you know, maybe you can touch two things here. Um, I mentioned, does the staff get along? And you've talked a little bit about how legislators get along, but also a lot of people don't like the fact that the legislature's down in Juneau. Um, if, if you were to pluck a normal person that kind of pays attention to politics, do you think, do offices get a lot more, outreach from constituents than what you would have thought maybe when you initially went in there a lot less? Is it just a few squeaky wheels? Uh, how do the offices hear from hear from their constituents? So um, the answer to that, at least for the four offices I've worked in, is I really, really wish, having graduated in political science, having been involved in politics um, on and off basically my since I was a kid, um, helping my dad and other friends that were campaigning. I really wish, um, and so for all the listeners too, I really wish constituents would reach out more to their legislators because um, when I first started working in an office, there there was a lot less um, constituents contacting the offices than I would have hoped for. And uh, there's a good saying, um, if you want government to leave you alone, don't leave your government alone. And, uh, and so I would, I would put that out there again to your listeners because, um, I would love personally and, and, and if elected, I would love for my constituents to reach out to me a lot more than they do. And I get it. People are busy, uh, and they, they elect us to go and represent them. Um, but typically, um, each office I would say is contacted more by, um, lobbyists or other offices, you know, wanting to talk about their legislation going through probably more so than constituents. So say in a week you have, um, say between emails, people coming in the office and, and phone calls, let's say, I would say probably 60% of that communication is non-constituents and only about 40% is constituents. Now that's different with every office I've been in different, but at the same time, fairly close, I would say to that 40, 60% ratio. So I would encourage uh, more people to um, in the future, contact your representatives. So um, the rep, the representatives I've worked for, which um, I, does it actually make it a difference uh, the more that people reach them? Because I know that a lot of people feel like, well, you know, I can talk with I can talk with my representative, but they just they don't listen to me. You know, that's just the the broadly you know broadly held opinion. But are there efforts yeah. if they take the take the time to give a call to an office? Is it going to, you know, is, is it gonna can it does it have the the potential of making a difference, or is everybody just gonna uh, not listen anyway? So great question. Um, I would say absolutely it does make a difference in Alaska. So I don't know. I haven't worked in federal politics. I can only imagine how easily it is for our emails and phone calls to fall through those cracks. But in Alaska, um, emailing the representative actually does definitely do some good. Now, I'm not saying that the representatives always listen to their constituents by any means. Um, on on a on a topic that they might not agree with the, their constituent on, 
but I'll guarantee, I'll tell you, tell you absolutely when, when the legislators get emails from their constituents that their constituents agree with the legislator on a bill or an issue, the legislators will bring that constituent's email forward or they'll talk about it sometimes on the floor, not by name, but like, you know, I've been receiving emails and phone calls from my constituents about such and such, whereas they can't really say that or shouldn't say that when they haven't gotten contacted by their constituents about an issue, right? Now, sadly, sometimes, um, and I'll be real frank with you, the PFD, sadly, um, people, more than any other issue, they call in about the PFD, and rightly so, because it is the people's money, not the legislators' money. And the people will call in, and it's, this session, more than anything, was kind of heartbreaking to me, watching a lot of the um, majority legislators listen to testimony after testimony and email after email um, in a 90, probably 90 to 10% ratio, 90% saying, hey, we really need the remainder of our 29 PFD, or we really need some fiscal help in this COVID crisis, please, you know, can you help us? And it was heartbreaking to watch. And that also partly motivated me to run because I don't think it's right for when we, when legislators disagree with their constituents and yet they're hearing from them in a 90 to 10 ratio for something, you don't just tune that out and not talk about it. So if that makes sense. So I, I um, think, I think, yes. well, you know, I, I try not to do things that are too terribly time, time bound, you know, like I, I don't want to talk too much about what's going on with our economy, blah, 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 because that might change someday. I want them to listen, but, but I will say that, that, um, and, and I usually don't try to take that bad of a position, but any other state that had the mechanism to pay out a, you don't have to call it a permanent fund dividend, but anybody that had the mechanism to put money in people's pockets right now, they probably would have. I think it was a terrible move. I think it was terrible economically because it would be different if if right now the state of Alaska was going into a recession because all of a sudden the world was changing. But we're going into a recession because the government mandated that people not go to work, and so they are actually... It's, it's almost like eminent domain. I mean, they are causing the harm. They There should be just compensation to people for them shutting them down. And, and so that was absolutely, frustrating uh, Absolutely, Casey. So that is the thing that it's, has been the most, out of all the seven sessions I've worked down there, it was so sad to me and frustrating. In my opinion, I'm like, what good is a government if when we need them the most? This is by far the biggest thing that I've ever lived through. Um, and, and, you know, talking with people in their fifties, you know, biggest thing they've ever lived through. And when the time where we are hurting and are needed, need our government the most, when they're, when they're the ones that have mandated and shut down work and travel and everything, and then they don't give a penny to the private sector, to the people. Um, it's, (laughs) there's no other way to put it, but it's, uh, it's, it's very harsh and, and, and must change. And so that's why not only myself, but many others across the state are running and challenging some of these legislators that were in the majorities and listened um, and, and, um, and, and ignored their constituents, ignored the people 
uh, in their most dire hour. So, yeah, um, when the governor does an economic um, task force uh, committee to try to get recommendations of what we should do, and he puts two political opposites like Mark Begich and Governor Sean Parnell as the chairs, and they come out with a complete agreement that we need stimulus money now, and then the legislature ignores them too from both sides, you know, well, minus the House minority, which we're, we're, we're trying and, and some of the minority in the, in the Senate. But when the majorities blatantly ignore, um, you know, all these people's plea for help, it, it was it was very, very sad. And so um, I was proud of uh, Dave Tallarico and some of the other House minority members that that stayed strong um, fighting for the people because a lot of them were doing everything they could to get some relief out to the people. But I, I just, I'd never seen such blatant disregard from the two majorities in the house and the Senate. And, and Sorry so, for the tangent. <laughs> no, no, it, it's, it's great. And, and people need to hear it. And I hope people hear it over and over again, but that there, this is what it was. I wasn't down there taking any of the phone calls. In fact, I didn't call my representative at all. My representative is the speaker of the house uh, because obviously I live mm-hmm. in district 37 out in, in Bristol Bay. But, um, so, so this motivated you, and I think it, I think a lot of people will be motivated, but this motivated you to run for office, like we talked about District 6, but avoiding the talk about that particularly, you are taking a different approach, planning on running undeclared. Um, I think a lot of people, when they see undeclared, actually a lot of people don't see undeclared, because not a lot of people run undeclared, a lot of people run independent, but um, the, those are two different things. A lot of people think that that is that that's not necessarily something that's genuine in nature. So, going outside of the political party, what's the, what's the main reason that that you would want to go outside of the political party? And then just tying it into Juno, does whether or not you're a Democrat or Republican or Independent or undeclared, does any of that even really matter, or is it really just the caucus? So, um, yes, I am running as a conservative undeclared, and I chose undeclared because instead of independent, like you said, or, or uh, nonpartisan or others, so undeclared are the only, um, are the only non-party um, voters that can actually, when they go to a primary, they can ask to vote in the Republican primary or the Democrat primary. Um, Whereas independents and nonpartisans, when they go to a primary, they are only handed a Democrat ballot. Um, you know me, and for everyone listening, I am about the furthest from a liberal you can get. Um, I'm very conservative and, um, and I've been a lifelong registered Republican. When I, when I turned 18, I was eager to uh, register to vote, and I registered as a Republican and have voted in every election since. Um, but I've also been heavily involved in the Republican Party statewide. And, um, I've been the, both parties, they, with each district that a legislator is over, there's a district, uh, and, and you know this, but just for listeners, there's, um, a Republican and a Democrat district, uh, chair over the area as well. And so growing up, I helped my dad, who was the district chair, Republican district chair of district six. Um, I eventually became vice chair of district six. Um, I've went to every state convention that we've had, the Republican state convention we've had since I was able. Um, 
well, all but one when I was out of country. Um, and I have even went to national Republican convention in 2016 with you. And so I've been a lifelong Republican and fully adhere to the platform um, and the principles that Republicans stand for um, on paper. But as you know, as many and people listening can can know, um, there are the parties have trying to lump everyone in Alaska into two different camps, or even in America is just it's not working, and it's becoming very very divisive. Um, people, uh, the highest part of our party politics here in, in the state, in the Republican Party. We're saying rhetoric like um, the Democrats are the enemy. And I'm like, man, you know, that really was turning me off. I was like, I have friends and family that are Democrats. I don't talk politics a ton with them. You know, I might disagree with them, but they're, you know, our, our neighbors, our friends, our family, and they should be treated with respect, not just, you know, um, shunned and treated bad because, you know, they're a different political view than me. And so I was, after my whole life, really, of, of this getting worse and worse because it was not so bad um, earlier on, in my opinion, but it's, we're so bipolarized now that I, I had decided before I'd even decided to run for office. I, I, I was telling people, if I run for office, I'm going to run as a conservative undeclared because I am conservative as it gets, but I am so frustrated with this two party system. And, and not only that, but we have right now a bipartisan, um, Democrat led, but I think there's five or six, yeah, six representatives that are Republicans. They get elected, they use the party to get elected, and then they jump right over. There, you know, people call them rhinos, Republican in name only, and they join the Democrats, and out out the window goes all their you know party platform that they are supposed to be upholding, and our state Republican Party leadership doesn't even have the guts to censor them, you know, and say that what you're doing is wrong. You're using our party and then jumping ship to get power on these committees that we talked about. And so I am just, I feel like we need change. Most of Alaska actually is, is not just a Republican or a Democrat. Most of Alaska is uh, undeclared, uh, nonpartisan or independent. And um, so, so far on my campaign, um, I come from, uh, again, Ninana, which uh, the people in Ninana, when there's a problem, we work together and we rarely talk about um, Republicans and Democrats. My brother is, my brother Josh Verhagen is the um, mayor of Ninana. Um, of course, in municipal elections, you don't have to run as a Republican or a Democrat. Now, sure, you have those political ideologies and you're more conservative or you're more liberal, and that's totally fine. Um, I plan, if elected, to caucus with the Republican minority, the current minority. Hopefully, we'll take the majority. But because I am more politically in line with them, but at the same time, um, things are never going to change if we just keep sticking with this two-party system. And I, I, I just, I don't feel like a Republican anymore. When being a Republican means you can get elected and then do whatever, whatever you want. Hopefully, that makes sense. It, it does, and for, and for anybody, you were talking about the districts, uh, you know, 
when you when you think about these political parties, some people would say, well, of course, you know, run as undeclared or run as independent. Who cares about the parties? There are some there are some very serious consequences of not running within inside of the party. There is uh, financially, it's it's difficult. Most of the parties already have um, have a structure such as a district and precinct leaders that that are well connected and that are, that can get out the vote for their party. So, so really, it, it's a big hurdle to um, not run with the party for for those various reasons. But um, there's many people that have done it and, and been successful with it. I think I think what really really uh, frustrates people is if you are running. If somebody does run on a as a conservative independent, or somebody runs as an independent, and they say that they're they're very liberal, and then they do the exact opposite, I think that that frustrates a few people. Um, oh yeah, for sure. You know, and and and, and some people it, right it now breaks are very trust right off the get go, right? Yes, it, yes, abso- absolutely, it it does. But you know, at the same time, um, as as you said. Sometimes you're not able to get any change if we just continue to go along, to get along, to do exactly the same thing um, as as we did the time before, and then nothing, nothing is going to change any which way, you know. So yeah, that's a- and I'll just say, going back to the example I just told you about with the majorities on both sides, Senate and House, ignoring their the people, ninety percent of the people's opinions, and and pleading for financial relief and and getting completely ignored. Um, the Senate majority is Republican and the House majority is a mixture of Republican and Democrat. And yet both of them completely just, you know, they're, they're honestly kind of kumbaya right now, the, the, the two majorities. And that's super frustrating to the, um, more actually conservative Republicans that are in the House minority, uh, and also some of the Senate minority Republicans. Um, there's there's two minorities in the Senate. There's some minority Republicans and there's minority Democrats, um, and they're extremely frustrated as, as they should be. And and so, um, you know, on the one hand, the the two party system is completely dividing us, but um, but at the same time, in Alaska, um, currently. Um, to, a, to a degree, at least with the PSD issue, um, there's practically no difference between the Senate Republicans leadership and the House Democrat leadership. And, and that's very frustrating to me. So um, it is going to be a hurdle uh, to a degree for me. But I will say um, that since I've been campaigning for about a week and a half, I have been overwhelmed with the amount of support I'm getting from across my district, um, which is, again, is huge. Um, I've had connections because I've been involved in this for a long time. Um, people all over the place from Toke, from, uh, Gacona, from, um, Salsha, from Cantwell, Healy, you know, Ninana and Tanana. And so many of them are so relieved that I've had the guts to run as a conservative undeclared. And I have people signing my petition because to get on a ballot, I have to have a small percentage. And Ed King might have talked with you about this as well because he's doing a similar thing. But to get on not with the party, you need um, a small percentage of signatures from your from your district. 
Well, I've been collecting signatures a little bit hard. I have to get creative with social distancing, but, um, but I have had a tremendous amount of support from um, a lot of undeclared voters, a lot of Republican voters, and, all, and honestly, some teachers that are registered Democrats that have known me, and they, they might not agree with me on being conservative, but at the same time, they know me. They know that I, I do care about education and, and will do my best. It doesn't mean we have money to just grow education. We don't. But at the same time, um, they're relieved that that I'm opposing just this two party that we're continually forced to think that that's, this is all we have. And that's not true. And so, um, I, I'm actually very confident, um, that, um, I can win this district. Um, and, and, and actually, if you don't mind, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a little bit of reasons why real quick that, um, I have only had support from my constituents, um, encouraging me and, and thanking me for running as an undeclared, the really limited amount of pushback I've gotten has all come from my friends in the Republican Party, and especially at the top. And they're calling me and, and, and worried and thinking that I'm going to split the vote and give it to the Democrat in this area. And I've told them, you know, yeah, it'd be easier if I ran as a Republican in the primary, but for reasons I've already stated, and I have a, a formal written up statement too that I don't know if you've seen, but I can direct you to that later of my reasoning why I'm not running as a Republican. But um, but besides their minor pushback, um, the the people of all different parties in my district are very grateful that I'm doing this. And I, again, I, I've been thinking long and hard about this. I'm not new to politics. Um, I don't want my area to go to a Democrat, especially when it's very much a non-Democrat uh, controlled house district. Um, and so I looked at the numbers closely and I wouldn't be doing this if I thought that it would go to the Democrat. I'm firmly confident that it will either be me or the Republican that wins the seat uh, in, in this three-way race. And I'll explain. So in 2016, it was a general election and People always come out to the polls a lot more in a general election than they do in the off years. And so in 2016, in my district, there were almost a thousand more voters that showed up to the polls um, and voted, and almost all of them voted Republican. And so in 2016, it was Dave Tallarico versus uh, the Democrat, Jason Land, and the ratio was about 70%. For Dave, um, and about thirty percent for the Democrat. So again, that was the general election. So here we are again in a general election, and oh, and then in twenty eighteen, when Dave Tallarico ran against another Democrat, um, the Democrat outspent him by probably ten times, and still only got forty percent of the vote. And Dave got 60% of the vote. And yet, almost a 1,000 less people showed up because it wasn't a general election. And so, um, and in 2018, the population, the total registered voters in our district was slightly higher than in 2016. But yet again, almost a 1,000 more people voted in 2016 because it was a general. So looking at the general election numbers in 2016 and knowing that this year people are going to come out again for the general election, 
Um, and not only did Trump win Alaska hands down before, but also we have Dan Sullivan on the ballot, and Alaskans have become pretty fond of Dan Sullivan. I know I have, and um, I feel like he's he's not as conservative as I'd like sometimes, but he's become way more conservative than when he got elected, in my opinion, and I'm grateful for him fighting for Alaska. So, um, and my district, which has two military bases in it as well, people are going to come out this year more than ever to vote for uh, Dan Sullivan and the president. And therefore, if, um, if myself and the Republican candidate split, half of the 70% would both have about 35%, and the Democrat would still only have 30%. So I'm confident, and, and, and that's if it was an even split. I actually feel that I will, um, again, pull votes from some of my, the people that know me and know my brother as mayor that are non-Republican um, voters typically are voting for me and supporting me. So I believe I will take some more of that 30% away from the Democrat. And I intend to take a lot more away from my Republican challenger. So I am very confident that it will either be me or the Republican that wins in this election. Hope that made sense. It, it, it does. I think some people will be worried about it, something to watch. I mean, between yourself and whoever the Republican is, however you guys do it, that's, that will end up being the, the electioneering towards the end. One of the, the things that you mentioned about the, the parties, I think it is, I think this is kind of a, an important point as we wrap it up, is a lot of the things that are going on, and I'll just grab nationally because it would be because it's so easy for people to understand. I think it's very funny uh, right now how uh, most of the people that I talk to, or or just look at our legislature, most of the people that are fairly uh, what you would call liberal, more liberal, they're very against getting uh, money into uh, lower income people's hands. I think that most of the people that are more liberal right now are very against stimulus checks going to Americans. On the same token, I think uh, most of the people that are fairly conservative right now are, are do not mind um, what type of powers that we give to the president or to our governors. I don't think very many people that are conservative minded are very upset with Governor Dunleavy and, and not cutting. Um, I think that most of the more liberal people that are very, very, very into a national election today and over the last two or three days have been just absolutely all about states' rights. So the polarization that you talk about between Democrats and Republicans, it's happening, and it's happening bad. So I think it's really neat that you're running undeclared. I think it's a very difficult thing to accomplish, but a lot of times it's becoming a sport in, in Alaska. It really is a, a sport. Politics really is a sport. Um, and we're just on, we're just on our, our teams. And, and I don't know if we think about things that deeply about whether or not we actually believe what we believe to be true or not. So I think that's something great that you're doing and it's going to be, I, I still think it's a hurdle though, because you, you know, there's a structure in place for the Democrats and a structure in place for the Republicans for a reason, because it's effective. Um, but, more luck, more more luck to you, and 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 uh, you can see where it goes and see whether or not you change anything. Yeah, and appreciate that. And and again, I've been helping this district, especially in the Republican side, for my whole life, really, or at least adult life. And so I know, I know a lot of uh, of the campaign 
effective effective campaign measures to do in my district. Um, I plan to get a lot of signs out that really helps. Um, I talked with uh, Dave Calarico several times before announcing and got, you know, some good information and recommendations from him. Um, I don't plan on door knocking much at all because people in our district, uh, you know, we, we, we like our space. We, uh, um, of course, right now we have social distancing anyways, but like, even if that opens up more, that's not necessarily super effective in our, in our community communities. And it's more going to each community, talking with the people, um, that you meet in the stores and the restaurants and meetings and city council meetings and getting to know them, getting people to put up signs in their yard and, and, and having meet and greets is way more effective than going and knocking on their doors and getting attacked by dogs or having people pull guns on you. Cause that's just our district. And that's <laughs> cool. I mean, I don't like when people come to my house without asking. So, um, that's, uh, I, I, I know how to campaign effectively too. Um, another thing though, is the party, um, has, has never really helped our district much financially. Uh, our candidates, um, Republican have always pretty much had to, you know, rely on their own campaign donations and they typically try to ask us and they've asked us several times, Oh, would like to take your money because you guys are a Republican seat and give it to a different seat. And people are, they're getting tired of that too. And so, um, yes, the parties behind you can help you win elections to a degree and especially in contested races, but they, they really haven't been helping district six much at all too. And that's also why myself and a lot of others in our district that are Republicans are frustrated with our party. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I don't want to, there's a lot of good people, of course, a lot of them. And I don't want to, you know, rip into any of them. I, I, they're my friends, but at the same time, I'm, I'm just tired of the divisiveness and I, and I, uh, I prayed long and hard about it. And I decided I was going to run as a conservative undeclared and switch my registration and, and feel I could win on my own merit instead of um, using a party. This is Elijah Verhagen, he lives in District 6. He's running for District 6. I want to thank you for the civics lesson, the pulling the curtain back on Juno. A lot of people uh, really enjoy Juno. They don't know about Juno. Maybe they, they – I mean, there's probably a pretty good argument that 15% of the people don't even know that that's our state capital. But either which way, <laughs> we learned we learned plenty from you. And uh, – if, if you are successful, we won't do the show again. If you aren't, then we'll have some more civics lessons. And if you ever get a chance to talk to some of the more liberal staffers, I, I put out invitations to both sides all the time, and there's only a certain number of people that get back to me. I'd love to get the other side of the story. So I appreciate it. And I appreciate it too. Thanks for having me on.